God is good. And all the time. Turn to someone next to you and say that to them, that God is good all the time. Amen. I want to share with you something that has nothing to do with the sermon, but it just occurred to me this morning. I was hearing a story uh, shared by my wife. Uh, She was talking with someone about Siri on her phone, and my wife doesn't use Siri. She has it completely turned off because it seems like it always wants to activate at the wrong time. And the person was saying, oh, no, you just don't know how to use it. I've never had a problem with Siri. Siri never interrupts my conversations. And at that very moment, her phone said, how may I help you? (laughs) And I've learned the hard way to turn my phone upside down when I come to preach, because twice since I've been here at Multination, I was in the middle of a sermon when Siri thought that I wanted to call someone in the room (laughs) and dial the number and left them a long voicemail, which was just me murmuring the sermon in the background. And and this is why it occurred to me. We pray a lot in worship, and we always ask God, open our hearts, open our minds. Sometimes I wonder if we are really understanding how profound and amazing it is that if something man-made like Siri It's so good at hearing us call for help. How much more so is our Heavenly Father good at hearing us call for help? And that's what this sermon series is all about. It's about knowing whom to turn to in our times of need and trouble and despair. And so we're going to continue that series today as we continue to look for joy in the dark. Would you pray with me? God, you are good, and you hear us. You hear our cries. As we said last week, you hear our cries, you look upon our situation, you see what we're going through, and you know. You are the God who knows us, our troubles, and the solutions. So we turn to you, our good God, as we continue to wrestle with this question of where to find joy in darkness. We pray that you would open our eyes again today, renew our spirits through your holy word, challenge us and convict us, encourage us, and so that we might leave this place, Lord, transformed by the renewing of our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over the years, I have heard, joyfully heard, many reports and testimonies about people who have served the Lord with gladness. That was the opening line from our opening scripture, Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. And I've heard testimonies that are so different from one another, maybe a a mission report about a group coming back from a mission trip, or perhaps the testimony of a Sunday school teacher or Bible study teacher, or maybe someone who has volunteered in their community. And even though all of their stories are very different, they have this common thread woven into all of them, 
And that is that at some point, the people sharing about what they are doing and how they are giving and serving, at some point, they will all say something like this. But I feel like I have received more than I have given. Have you ever heard that? Amen? Have you ever experienced that maybe even yourself in your own life? I remember listening to a a report from a group who had gone on a mission trip to some remote village in some remote corner of the world. And some of them, they all had different skills. Some of them had helped the village build a well for clean drinking water. Others had helped replace the roof on the church building. Some of them had worked with the children doing a backyard Bible school, teaching them biblical truths. Others were working with a group of women, giving them life skills and teaching them sewing techniques. But they all shared in their testimonies, one after another, that same line. I feel like I received more than I gave. I feel like I got more than I had given. I remember being in a workshop for people who were interested in teaching a Bible study. And there were several teachers giving testimony. And likewise, they all said the same thing. I feel like I've learned more by teaching than I ever learned as a student. Or I feel like I have gained more biblical understanding than I ever received just trying to receive it as a person in the room. I heard a person just recently, this past Advent season, they began to volunteer at a soup kitchen serving hot meals to the homeless. And they say, as much as I have served, I feel like they have served me even more. And they shared all kinds of experiences about that. But there is this truth at work, this mystery if you will, this mystery in the world that the more we give out, it seems the more we receive, especially in terms of a sense of inner peace, satisfaction, joy, and rejoicing. And so I thought as we're following this theme of dealing with feelings of sorrow and sadness, even depression or seasonal depression in the dark of winter, that how could we not also highlight serving as one of those pathways to finding joy in the dark? We've looked at two already. We, we looked at how powerful making a change in our life, a, a new start for a new year, that maybe just changing one thing in our lives either to start something or to stop something that we've been doing. And that one small change can lead to joy. Then we looked last week at the power of finding joy in the the hands of the great physician, the, the healer God that we serve. And that when we are in right relationship with God, we find this source of strength. And that when we are out of fellowship with God, Our sorrows are multiplied. They're intensified. And those are both kind of self-care, self-focused things. But as we think about today's theme of 
finding joy through serving others, we're looking beyond ourselves, beyond our own personal needs, and looking at how we actually can meet our needs better by meeting the needs of others. Why, why is that? Before we even look at our scripture, a couple of scriptures come to my mind. First of all, again, the opening scripture, Psalm 100, says, serve the Lord with gladness. It, it celebrates the joy that comes from serving the Lord. And the reason I think we find joy in serving the Lord is found in Matthew 25. Do you remember that story of the sheep and the goats? And how at the end, the, the, the great King Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep are those who gave food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, clothes to the naked, who visited those who were in prison or sick. And the goats are those who did not do any of these things. But Jesus says in that prophetic vision of the end, that when we serve the needs of others, we are serving the Lord. So what does it mean, serve the Lord? It means serve other people. Serve the needs around you. Serve those who are connected to you. When you see their pain or their struggles, or when you see that person sweeping alone, Serving them is serving the Lord, and serving the Lord brings joy. So here's the the mystery for people who are kind of mathematical thinkers and you like things to be structured and methodical. There is a sequence of events. We find that when we serve others, it is like serving Jesus And when we serve others like Jesus, we become more like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we have life to the full and the more we experience joy and the more we want to serve others. And then we serve others a little more and become even a little more like Jesus. But you cannot be like Jesus and be self-focused. And you cannot be like Jesus without having the mind set of Jesus. And this is at the heart of what our scripture sermon is all about. Paul writing to the Philippians, to the Christians there in the city of Philippi, some 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's teaching them this mystery of servanthood and humility is at the heart of joy and completeness. And this is what it means to have the mindset of Jesus. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 with me, if you will. Turn there to your Bibles or your smart devices. The scripture will also be posted here on the screen. And Paul begins this chapter by making this argument or this appeal towards the best of humanity. What is the best of who you are? He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, 
Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So in in a sense, he is talking about unity within the body of Christ. But he makes this appeal to the common good. You know, if there's anything good about being in Christ, if you find any joy in your relationship with God, if you have a heart, he says, he words it not that way, but he says, if you have passion and sympathy, if you have a heart for other people and for for the Lord Jesus whom we serve, if you have any sense of compassion or sympathy in your being, if you enjoy the power of the Holy Spirit and the benefits of the fruit of the Spirit, you know, things like gentleness and patience, kindness and self-control and and the greatest gift of all, love, that, that if you have these things in your life, then be of the same mindset. I want you to be in agreement with me, Paul says, on this. And what mindset is he referring to? He tells us that it will be the mindset of Christ. But before we get to that, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. I mean, the best way to keep peace in the church, I guess, is to be putting the needs and the concerns of other people ahead of yourselves. The key word in, since 2020, and it only intensifies every year, and I'm sure it will in 2024, but the key phrase I hear from people is self-care. I need a little me time. Or where I come, we say, you know, you do you. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Treat yourself. Have you heard that? Treat yourself. Or YOLO. This has kind of already died out, but you only live once, YOLO. Do it. Indulge yourself. And I agree 100%. There is great need and importance in self-care, in seasons of rest and sabbatical, in taking care of yourself. And that's why the first two sermons in these series was really all about self-care. But Paul is pointing out something here, that self-care can be out of balance with caring for the others. That self-focus can mean that we no longer focus on the needs of others. And you do that long enough and self-care becomes selfish. Self-centeredness. And he says, look, don't, don't do that. Don't do things from selfish ambition, self-fulfilling gratification, but in humility regard others as more important than yourself. It's not a me message here, is it? It's not me, what I need. I mean, I've told you this before. I, I, one of my great pet peeves that, that really aggravates me is when someone comes to visit the church 
and they want to know, how will you meet my needs? Don't you have it the other way around? How will you meet the needs of the others? That's what Paul is focusing on. For he says it quite plainly, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. Now we come to the point. What is the mindset he wants us to share but the very mindset of Jesus? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard him with equality with God as something to be exploited. As some translations say, to be grasped. But the key of meaning of that Greek word is something to, to use for your own self-interest, for your own benefit, to control it. He's God, but he doesn't regard himself as being in that position for his own good. But he emptied himself, verse 7, taking the form of a slave. God, God of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-present, glorious, creator God, has taken on the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, that means hungry, thirsty. That means his feet smelled. That means he had creaks and pains in his back when he woke up in the morning. That meant that he was cold at night. That meant that all of the, the human limitations we experience, even those less honorable parts of being a, a creature, he experienced those. It says, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This beautiful poem, we believe, was written much earlier than this, that most Scholars are in agreement that, that Paul is quoting a poem that probably dates back some 24, 25 years earlier. So that by the time Paul is writing this around 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, this poem is rooted into the, the culture and the worship of the church global. That people had this clear understanding of what the incarnation, God becoming human, really meant. How, how deep is the level of humility and sacrifice and servanthood that Jesus embodied in his body. 
And I'm, I know I'm focusing on this quite a lot, but it is so important for us to become re-shocked, become re-amazed by this reality of the incarnation. Almost all of our understanding of Jesus is sacrifice is focused on one moment, the cross. And it is true, that was the ultimate completion and fulfillment of his humility and his sacrifice. But do not forget all of those days of his human life. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, it's almost humiliating for the God of the universe to become a baby in Bethlehem and have to grow up and learn to walk and learn to read and learn to speak, to spit up and to go through life knowing I've got the power to do whatever I want and yet every moment of every day choosing to do what is needed for the sake of the world. That's astonishing. Don't become used to it. See, that's the problem. We're too comfortable with that truth. It's lost some of its sting and wonder. And Paul says that I want you to have that same kind of mindset, no matter how important you are, no matter how significant you may be, no matter how important your work may be or how significant your contributions are, you are a slave to the others. Now that hurts. That, that's hard for some people to say. I am your slave. You own me. I'm here to meet your needs. Can you say that to the brothers and sisters in Christ around you? For this is the mindset of Christ. In verse 12, Paul continues to write, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to both will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, what does Paul mean when he says work out your salvation? It doesn't mean you're working for your salvation. Your salvation has already been guaranteed. You are justified by God's grace. What he means by work out your salvation is work it, live it, do it. So the the Christian life of servanthood is a life in response to the grace of our salvation. And he says, work that out. But know this, it is not you who has the power to work it, but it is the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. It is the Spirit of God living in you. It is that spirit, he says, that is enabling you and empowering you to do all of these incredible things, not you yourself. I think that is a word of encouragement. Like, I don't have to worry that I don't know how to do something. 
I don't have to worry that, that I'm not properly trained or qualified. For if God calls you, he will equip you. He will give you the tools and the skills and the gifts to do all things. And then in verse 14, do all things without murmuring and grumbling so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. Two things here that I know. One, his, he's reminding us God wants us to serve the Lord with gladness, not out of a sense of guilt or obligation. Never volunteer out of a sense of frustrated guilt or obligation. That's not what God wants. He wants us to serve in thankfulness and gratitude. Now, he still wants you to serve one way or the other. It's better to do it grumbling than to not do it at all. But the goal is to have that heart change through our relationship. I mean, when I tell my little children, when I would tell them, go and clean up your rooms, you know what they did? I'll tell you what they did not do. Oh, yay, Daddy, we're so excited to go and do this service for you. No, they went away like this. Oh, you know, my room, you know, he cleaned up. You know. That's grumbling. But guess what? They still did it. <laughs> but we are changing. And it's not us, it's the Spirit that's changing us. And the more time we spend with Jesus in prayer and worship and scripture, the more we become like him in mindset and in action. And the more we become like him, the more we serve the needs of others, which we already said is serving Christ. And the more we serve Christ, the more we will rejoice and find joy. And so he concludes with these lines. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. I, I think it is so important that Paul included those last lines because this is a kind of, well, I know what I'm talking about here moment. That if anybody knows what it is to pour themselves out like a sacrifice, it's Paul. If anyone knows what it is like to give up everything in the service of others, it's Paul. But Paul says, even though I've done that, it's not been in vain. And I am rejoicing that God has asked me to give all of myself, to give completely. Because Paul, in the the undertone of all of this, he is reminding us that, that if everybody has this men mentality, we will be in one accord and at peace and we will have joy and all our needs will be fulfilled. Because if I am focused entirely on meeting your needs and serving you 
And you are focused entirely on meeting my needs and serving me. Guess what? We will both be full. We will both be served. In fact, I have learned that this truth is so profoundly prevalent in the world that you can serve my needs better than I can selfishly try to serve my own. That we can serve each other and will serve one another better than we would serve ourselves if we were just selfishly focused on self-centered care. Isn't that amazing? I know I, I, you can say I share this illustration too much, but it never loses its power to me. That vision from Chicken Soup for the Christian Soul, that book of heartwarming, warming, encouraging stories, tells about a man who is given a glimpse of heaven and hell. And in hell, he sees a great banquet table spread out before all the people who were there, rich foods and fine wines, and yet they are all starving to death eternally. They have gaunt, thin faces, and you could count their ribs. And then he looks closer and he sees why. For all of their arms are locked and cannot bend, and for hands they have great spoons. And as much as they scoop the food up, they can never bring it to their own mouth. And so they waste away forever. In the next instant, he is brought to heaven. And in heaven, he sees an almost identical scene. A great banquet, rich foods, fine wines. People's arms cannot bend their hands as spoons as they scoop up the food. And yet everyone is laughing and happy and healthy and well-fed. Why? Because they are feeding one another. This is why I like to pray with hands like this with other Christians. Because the finger is the strongest point of your hand and the webbing in between is the weakest. And so when we join hands, this is why Christians started doing this, it symbolizes that your strength covers my weaknesses, my strength covers yours. We are slaves to the needs of the other. And when we are in times of sorrow or depression or grief or darkness, we will always find that we will gain more than we gave. We will receive more than we offered. We will be served by our service more than our service has served others. That we pour ourselves out. And this is the mystery of the Spirit at work. That the more we pour ourselves out, the more full we are. And our cup overflows. I, I am not making light of self-care. I want to be clear about that. There are some of you in this room today and watching online who are in desperate need of rest who are in desperate need of a season of Sabbath. But there are many more of us who are in desperate need of some work. We need a job. And we will find that when we yield to those opportunities, 
that that's the source of joy. I'll confess to you, I spent a very brief season. I was not at the time in ministry, but I spent the season where I was going through some feelings of depression. And I got it in my head because someone older in ministry told me, you just need to take care of yourself for a while. So I got it into my head. I'm going to quit volunteering at church. I'm going to quit serving. I'm just going to take a season of self-care. And so I I even made this statement to someone. I said, I want to just go and be at church and not have to do church. Well, you don't have to be a prophet to know how that went. At the end of that season, I was more empty, felt more alone, felt more depressed and saddened. And it was only when someone called me and said, I need you. And I went and I listened to their troubles and I prayed with them and I walked away feeling like I was on cloud nine, just at the top of the world. And it's like God was saying, see, do you get it? Do you understand it? Do you perceive it? There has to be some kind of of balance. And we don't have to go on a mission trip to find it. We don't have to be a Bible study teacher. Maybe it is just helping someone pick things up. Or maybe it's something that's simple as listening to a friend in need. Maybe it's something as private as praying every day for the people who you know are struggling. But when we do these things, we fulfill our purpose. And purpose gives us joy. It's not, I know that we focus a lot on self-piety and worship and our prayer life. These are all important But what does God really want from us? When Jesus was on this earth, he did not demand to be worshipped, nor did he insist that he be served. He said, I have come not to be served, but to serve. He came to pour himself out as a sacrifice. So we close today with these final words from the prophet Micah chapter 6. May these words linger in your heart and your mind throughout the day and the week to come. When in the prophet's words in chapter 6, verse 6, the question is asked, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my sin, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The Lord always blesses the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen.